Amen. It's so good to see you guys all again. So thankful that we get to come here on Tuesday nights and spend time together with my favorite people in the entire planet. If you were here last week, last week was a really powerful time in the presence of God. God has been up to something really special and unique in our Chi Alpha family. It's just exciting to see what he's doing as we really navigate through what it looks like to have a life of prayer. If this is your first time with us, my name is Derek. I'm so thankful that you decided to join us tonight. I know it can be a little scary to try something new, so thank you for being here. I'd love to meet you after service. And our prayer for you tonight is that you will get to encounter the presence of the living God. We don't just show up to do a church thing. We show up to meet with God. So our prayer is that will happen for you tonight. This first month of the calendar year in January here, we've been talking through this idea of being ready for revival. Revival is when God brings new life to our hearts And that overflows to bringing new life to the people around us. The idea is that God needs to awaken something inside of us, and then he'll awaken the same thing on campus, and we'll see hundreds if not thousands of people come to know Jesus. We're claiming that 2024 is going to be the year of revival. So this spring semester, we're focusing on our hearts being set ablaze for Jesus, and then with the prayer that next fall, God is going to blow our minds. Tonight we'll be continuing this idea, looking in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you do not have a paper Bible, we have got a ton of them that we'd love to give you. If you go out to the Connect table out there, we've got new Bibles we'd love to give you, so please grab one. This piece of scripture we're going to read here tonight is from a letter written by the Apostle Paul, a guy who planted a ton of churches, wrote a lot of the New Testament. And this is a letter he's writing to actually his like son of the faith, his disciple, his name is Timothy. And he's instructing Timothy and saying, this is how you can make a big impact for God. And before we read this text tonight, I want us just to quiet our souls, center our minds, let's focus, eliminate distractions for a few seconds and see what God can speak to us through the word of God. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Our sermon title tonight is Consecration in a Time of Revival. Let us pray together. Jesus, we pray that you will show up tonight, God, that everything that is spoken will be honoring to you and glorifying to your name. God, I pray that we will become a consecrated people before you, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen and amen. Many people believe that Tom Brady is the greatest football player to ever live. And then we see some people like, what's up? Some people like, no, we hate Tom Brady. We all know Tom Brady's great. All right. Like, I'm a Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest of all time. He also sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. So it's all right. Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl rings, and he's done things on a football field that no one else has ever done. He was so bold even to say that he wanted to play until he was 45 years old, which is way longer than anyone usually plays. Tom Brady wanted to have a special purpose. He wanted a special place in NFL history. And this desire led him to live a very different life than all the other NFL players and definitely different life than the rest of us average human beings. Tom Brady dedicated his life to training. He wasn't the biggest or the fastest. If you look at pictures of him when he came into the NFL, he looks kind of scrawny and goofy looking, but he spent, and he got really handsome as he got better at football. I don't know how that works, but he's like trained better and his face just started looking so attractive. Anyways, I got to stop thinking about Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady spent his time getting attractive. He spent his time learning and studying football. He was so dedicated that he abstained from eating sugar, from drinking coffee, eating bread. He pretty much just ate fruits and vegetables. While his friends would go out and party during the season, Tom Brady never drank alcohol during the season. He wanted to be different. And he knew that if he wanted to live a life that had different results, then his lifestyle needed to look vastly different than everyone around him. Many of us have this similar desire. We want our lives to be special. See, most of us in this generation grew up being told that we are special, we're unique, we can do anything we want. We were told to dream big. And this was actually a response, and this isn't for everyone, but for a lot of people. A lot of our parents grew up kind of being told just to put your head down and work, to just do the next thing in front of you and to not really focus on dreaming big. So then our parents, as they grew up, responded by going to the other side and saying, you are special, you're unique, you can change the world. So we were told that our whole lives. If you look at the top fears of Gen Z, according to a study, two of the top five, one of them was being stuck in a career where they weren't making a difference in the world, and another one was not reaching their fullest potential. It's obvious that Gen Z, your generation, wants to make an impact. You want to be the best version of yourself. We don't want to be normal. We want to be special. We want our lives to have a unique, special purpose. And I think this is awesome. That's why I love Gen Z and do this job. And this truth carries over to our life as Jesus followers. As Jesus followers, we want to have a special use by God. We want to not just sit on the sidelines. No, we want to get in the game and for God to use us to change the world. We want to be a part of something special. For our Chi Alpha family, this looks like us wanting to be a part of revival. We want to see this campus turned upside down in the name of Jesus. We want to see God do something that he's never done before on campus, where hundreds if not thousands of students will flood this room to worship King Jesus. We want to be a part of that. We want to have a special use. But here is reality. This is really our theme for the whole night. That if we want special, special results, we must live special lives. We can't live like everyone else and expect different results. It's credited with Albert Einstein saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If we want to see something different happen, we have to start to live differently we can't look like everyone else, but expect God to pour his favor on us. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he's telling Timothy through some weird imagery of like using silverware, saying there's two kinds of people in his church. There are some people who are normal and have a common use, but then there's people who have a special use. And sometimes for us, it's like, that doesn't seem fair. Why are some people common, some people special? The beauty of what Paul is saying is he's telling Timothy that people aren't like, predestined for that or like forced to have a special or common use. It's not like God decided that before. No, he's saying if people will set themselves apart and be holy, God wants to use them in a special, special way. We all can be people of special use. So tonight what we're going to focus on is what does it take to be a person that gets a special purpose from God? So we're not going to really talk about like being loved by God because we're all loved by God no matter what you've done. God loves you. You don't have to perform for God. It's the beauty of this. You don't have to earn the love of God. He loves you right where you're at. We're going to go a step further, and we're going to focus in on getting our hearts ready for revival, ready for something unique and special, ready for God to use us in a special way. If you want to make an impact for God, your life must look different than those around you. You cannot live like everyone else, every other college student, and then expect God to use you in a crazy way. That just doesn't make any sense. We, as Chi Alpha, can't live like everyone else and expect revival. 
There was a guy in the Old Testament who got a special calling from God. God wanted to use him to do something really unique. He actually called this guy, his name is Joshua, to go and take the promised land, to go and conquer for the kingdom of God. But before God sends him out, before God will use him, he gives him one command. He says, Joshua, you need to be consecrated. Say consecrated. All right, it took you a second, but we got there. You're like, uh, consecrated, amen, amen. Consecrate is not a, use, or a word we use very much, right? You're not walking around like, I am consecrated today. Thank you, nice to meet you. That'd be weird. What's your major? I'm majoring in consecration. That would be, that'd be a cool major, but probably not here. Anyways, even though this word is not part of our vernacular, it is actually a very common word used throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 40, God is giving the law or the way that God's people are supposed to live before Jesus comes. And it says this in Exodus 40 verse 9. Take the anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle and everything in it, consecrate it and all its furnishing and it will be holy. What this practically means is God is saying this tabernacle, you got to clean it up and then you got to anoint it with oil and that will make it ceremonially clean. It'll be ready to be used. This tabernacle was to be set apart to be different and then God could use it we continue on in the old testament to Joshua 3 5 we get to that command of Joshua says this Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you God is saying I want to do amazing things among you but beforehand you better consecrate yourself that meant Joshua is telling his people we got to go clean ourselves and then God will use us. We have to be set apart. That is consecration. The technical definition of the word consecrate is to set apart to the service of God. To set apart to the service of God. There's two parts to that, obviously. To set apart and then to the service of God. So if you want to be consecrated, it's quite a simple concept. You must be set apart in order to be used by God. We have to look different if we want God to do something different. So if we want revival, we must be set apart. Again, set apart just means to be different than those around us. In the book of Romans, another one of Paul's letters, he teaches us how we can be different. He's teaching us this is what it looks like to live a consecrated life. It says this in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, and pleasing to God. This word holy that we read right here can be translated to say holy, or it can also be translated to mean consecrated. He's telling us that we must be set apart in holiness. Holiness is a word you hear around in the church world, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be set apart in holiness? Well, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15 puts it this way. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he, as in God, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. It's written, be holy because I am holy. What he's saying is holiness means looking like Jesus. Holiness means running from evil desires. And let's just be honest about it. We've all got some things inside of our heart that aren't quite so good, right? I don't know about you. But every one of my thoughts and desires and dreams are not all like perfectly holy. Like I just want to get up and pray for seven hours. And then Jesus, I want to go and wash some feet. Finally, I want to tell people about your good name. And then I want to pray again and go to sleep. No, that's not all my desires. If that's you, that's awesome. You can come up and preach next week. It'll be great. We'll upgrade. No, we've got some things in our hearts that aren't quite pleasing to Jesus. 
Maybe you've got some thoughts inside that you never tell anyone about, but of anger or pride or bitterness or sexual impurity, greed, coveting, the list goes on and on and on. To be holy means we choose not to give in to those desires. Because just because we desire something doesn't mean we have to give in to it. We don't let those desires make home in our heart. They come by, they like knock on the front door and we kick them out. They don't get to come in and make themselves at home and sit on the couch and make a sandwich. They don't get to do that in our heart. And hear me, the reason we pursue holiness is not to earn the love of God. We cannot earn the love of God. God loves you amidst your junk. We're not striving. But instead, we pursue holiness because our hearts, what goes on inside of you, is actually really, really important to Jesus. I think sometimes we think, God's probably got too much to worry about to worry about what's going on inside of me. As long as I don't like smoke weed and sleep with someone, then we're good to go, right? God and I, we check the box, we're good. God is after more than just your behavior modification. God wants your heart to be centered on the things of him. Because as Jesus followers, we, our hearts, are supposed to be the dwelling place of God. I mean, God wants to live inside of your heart. He wants to make his temple you. I want you guys to all think of someone. Think of someone that you really, really admire, your hero. Maybe it's someone famous. Maybe it's your parents, a professor, a cute girl that's like two rows away that you really admire. You've never talked to her before, but you admire her from afar. If so, God help us all. We'll talk about that next week. Think about someone in your life that you really, really want to impress. Now I want you to imagine, being your phone goes off, put your phone on silent, but it goes off. You get a text from this person. This would be really weird if it's a girl you never talked to, but just go with me. It'd be re- weird if it's any of these people, actually. A famous person texting you would be awkward, too. Anyways, a famous person or someone you want to impress texts you, and they're like, hey, I'm coming over for dinner tonight, and we are going to hang out. It's like, Taylor Swift texts me, come on, baby, this is good. So this is awesome. You're excited. The person you want to impress is coming over to your dorm room, your apartment, your house. But then you think back and you realize that just last night you stayed up all night binging TV and you left four pizza boxes all out. Your room reeks. It is a pit. Your room is so dirty. Your hero is about to come hang out and your room's stanky. What are you going to do about it? You're going to, even in the middle of I was talking, if Taylor Swift texted you and said, I'm coming over and your room stunk, you're getting your butt up and you're walking out and you're going to go clean up, right? You don't care if you're disrespectful to me. You're like, I'm cleaning up. T-Swift's coming over. I get it. It makes sense. She's cooler than I am. If we had a pit of a room and someone we wanted to impress was going to come over, we would rush home and we would clean it up. We're going to try to make it spotless. Someone that I admire is coming over. Someone really important is going to be where I live. Shouldn't we think the same thing about Jesus? Someone important wants to come and live inside your heart. Someone really, really important wants to come and make his home inside of you. Yet, for some reason, we're okay with dirt being inside of here. It's only the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords coming over. We should care more about what God thinks of our hearts and being clean for God than anyone else. We should admire Jesus so much that we want our hearts to be the cleanest place that he could ever dwell. And that's how we become set apart. We decide we're not going to live like the world around us. I'm not going to give in to every whim or desire that feels good in a moment. I'm going to live in a way that honors God. 
Another way of putting this is saying that we should live with a fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, that's an interesting term, right? It's all throughout the Bible. It says, fear God. And now you might be sitting here thinking, well, that sounds really confusing because we are told that God is a God of love, of kindness, compassion, peace. When God describes himself throughout the whole Bible, he says that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Yet I'm supposed to fear him? That doesn't add up, right? When the biblical writers tell us to fear God, they don't necessarily mean it the same way like how you should be afraid of heights or a spider or your smelly roommate that lives there that you really are scared of. No, 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 no. You're not in terror of God, but fear more as in you have respect for God. You're in awe of God. There's a pastor from New York City. His name is John Tyson, and he is someone that I look up to immensely. That name probably sounds familiar because I basically preach things he says and make them sound dumber because I'm not as smart as him. I think he's the best preacher in the world. That's my hero. You're like, your hero's a pastor. Awesome. You're really cool. Get off yourself. It'll be fine. Anyways, back in October of 2022, Pastor Victor and I went to a conference that he was speaking at. And so he was there, and there was a moment when he's sitting at a table by himself, and I'm just sitting there minding my own business, and Victor like, starts nudging me. You got to go introduce yourself. And I'm like, I'm not going to introduce myself. I'm, I'm like, That's, that would be uncomfortable. I'm not doing that. And Victor's like, you got to do it, man. That's your hero. You talk about him way too much. Quit chickening out. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll do it. So I walk over to himself really sheepishly. I, was really, I literally took me like 10 minutes to walk up to him. And then I go up, and I was like, hi, my name is Derek. Will you be my dad? I mean, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> I didn't say the dad part. That'd be embarrassing. But legit, this isn't a joke. My leg was shaking the entire time I was talking to him. I'm like, hey, so I passed this thing called Chi Alpha. I know you've never heard of it because you're really, my leg was shaking. I could feel it. So was my leg shaking because I was afraid this pastor was going to step up and like square up and pop me and say, how dare you come and introduce, or like spit at me and say, you stink at preaching. No, I wasn't scared of in terror that he's going to fight me. I was nervous because I really wanted to impress this guy. My fear wasn't trembling. My fear came from a place of respect. When it comes to meeting with God, we don't pursue holiness because we're scared he's going to smite us and we won't be good enough for him. We'll never be good enough. You ain't measuring up, baby. It's all right. God loves you. We pursue holiness because we're so thankful for what Jesus did on the cross and we admire him so much as the creator of the universe that we really want to impress this guy because this is God. And we honor him. So we're holy as a way to honor God, to show we respect him. If you're struggling with holiness tonight, the question I want you to ask yourself is not what tips and tricks can you do to fix it. If we're struggling with holiness, it's not about fixing ourselves. It's about fixing our minds to say, I need a higher view of God. It's not about you not being good enough. It's about you not having a high enough view of God that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor him. See, Jesus is described as two things. He is called both the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. When they call him the Lamb of God, that's kind of an exciting image. It's like, oh, a peaceful lamb. He's died on the cross for us. He loves me. He's kind. Jesus is loved. My best friend. We got a t-shirt. And that's great. That is a very important part of God's character. But he's also described as the Lion of Judah. A lion that hates evil. A lion that loves you so much, he's going to do whatever it takes to make you pure. I think too often we declaw the Lion of Judah and say, Jesus doesn't care what I do with my life. It's all good. We can't declaw the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah hates evil, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get it out of us, not to punish us, because he, but because he cares about us. 
if we respect God, we're going to do whatever it takes to honor him. Holiness shows we respect God because when we obey God and listen to him, we are saying, God, you are smarter than me. So I tell you of one of my heroes, John Tyson. I have another hero, really different avenue of life. His name's LeBron James. And I want you to imagine, I just played church basketball last night, and I'm really sore, to be honest, so that's, let's not bring that up. If I'm limping, don't make fun of me, but I'm playing church basketball, and so I want you to imagine LeBron James rolls up to Waterloo Church of the Brethren. I don't know why that would happen, but let's say he does. And he walks in, and he sees me playing. And then after the game, he pulls me aside. He's like, what's up, best friend? I'm like, what's up, homie? Because we're tight like that, even though we've never met. But he pulls me aside, and he starts giving me some tips of what I need to do to make my basketball game a little bit better. You better believe I'm doing everything he says. If he says, Derek, you gotta quit your job and you gotta go full force to church basketball, that one night every two weeks is really gonna change your life. You gotta quit, you gotta leave the kids behind, and you gotta be all in. I said, yes, sir, LeBron James, whatever you need of me. I wouldn't leave my kids, that'd be bad. Quit, I'm just kidding, I wouldn't quit my job either. But you better expect me to listen to whatever LeBron tells me to do about basketball. Is that because I'm scared if I don't listen to him, LeBron's gonna be mad at me? He doesn't care about me. No, it's because I think he's smarter than me and better at basketball than I am. We don't listen to God because we think he's going to be mad at us if we don't listen. We listen because we think he's smarter than us. God, you created the whole universe and you designed everything. You might just know the best way to play. We are holy because we trust that God is smarter than us. When God tells us how to live life, we should have so much respect of him and so much trust in him that we're going to do whatever he says. We, don't, we aren't wholly out of obligation. It's out of honor. A common question that you'll hear around church spheres, it's like, well, if God is so full of grace and he's gonna forgive me no matter what I do, can't I do whatever I want, baby? If I'm, if I'm like, I can live reckless for like 78 years, but then my heart starts slowing down a little bit, then I gotta get holy for that last three weeks. But if I'm good to go the rest of the time because of his grace, right? We think we can do whatever we want because God's gonna forgive me. Asking that question shows that our heart's not quite in the right place. It shows we don't understand who Jesus actually is. Because if we truly love and respect God, we're going to want to please him. We're not going to want to be looking for an excuse to do whatever we want. We're going to be looking for reasons to try to be more holy. And when it comes to holiness, I think if we're honest, at least myself a lot of the times, we're usually just asking the question of what can I get away with and God not be mad at me? Like, what's the closest I can get to sin without actually sinning? Like, can I kiss her? Can I make out with her? What can we do? And we're not technically sinning, but it's still having a little bit of fun, right? We think that way. What's the closest I can get to sin without being sin? We gotta change our mindset. We gotta change from how close to sin can I get to how holy can I possibly be? When it comes to things like sexual purity, drunkenness, the way we talk, we should aim to be as holy as possible. We'll spend hours debating silly things like is cussing aloud? Can I say an F word, A word, S word? Where does it stop? When instead, why don't we just try to honor God with our tongue and not just try to say whatever I can say that's holy? Is it honoring for me to be dropping F-bombs everywhere? No, that's not honoring to God. So why debate that? Instead, let's just focus on how much we can honor King Jesus. John Tyson said that one day he was leading a prayer gathering and an old woman came up to him, and she said, John, I've got a word of the Lord for you. John, you've got a calling over your life, but you need to hear this. Others may, you may not. Others may, you may not. And that truth is profound. John is being told, God wants to use you. 
But if you want God to do all he has planned for you, your life's gotta be set apart. And the same is true for you. If you want to be set apart, to be used by God, your life must look different. We must change our mindset to what is allowed, to what is best. And you gotta look different. So here's an example. Is it sinful to watch TikTok? No, probably, depends on what you're watching, but probably not. But would a consecrated, set-apart person spend hours a day on their phone? Probably not. Others may give their college career to themselves, getting the best degree, getting rising up this, the food chain. Others may. You may not. Others may skip small group because they weren't smart about doing their homework earlier in the day. You may not. Others may let fear of rejection keep them from talking to people about Jesus. You may not. Others may try to toe the line of sin. You may not. If you want to be set apart, we must go from what's the bare minimum I can do to be in God's good conscience to how can I honor God the best way possible. Others may, you may not. The list goes on and on, right? Remember, this isn't about being loved by God. God loves you. You don't have to earn it. It's about being set apart for a special use. We gotta look different if we want a different kind of impact. And believe me, I know this is hard. This is challenging. Just a few days ago, I was on my fourth episode of Gilmore Girls. I was like, others may watch episode five, and I will too. It was sinful, okay, I'm repenting, I'm repenting. I screwed up, but it was an important part of the show anyways. Paul continues on. Romans 12, verse two now. This is again telling us how we can be set apart. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul is telling us we gotta be set apart in holiness and we gotta be set apart in truth. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. See, here's reality. The world around you has been trying to hardwire truth into your brain since literally the day you're born. Whether it's through media, your parents, your family of origin, we're all getting hardwired what is truth inside of us. But sometimes the truth that we've grown up being taught ends up being very different from the teachings of Jesus. The truth of culture usually does not line up with the truth of what King Jesus taught 2,000 plus years ago. And so if we wanna be set apart, we gotta say what God says goes. In today's culture, godliness is not seen as a virtue. No, we live in a world where godliness can be seen as primitive, be seen as evil or foolish. Paul is saying, no, 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 we don't conform to the world around us. We don't let out there decide what's true. We let God decide. Culture cannot define a set-apart person's reality. Jesus can. So in Chi Alpha, we believe firmly what the Bible says goes. The Bible commands us to do something, we're gonna try our best to do it. The Bible tells us something is wrong, we're gonna accept that it's wrong, even if it makes us uncomfortable. God knows better than us, so he gets to define reality. The cultural ideological idea of the day does not define reality. The word of God that's been living and active for 2,000 years gets to define truth. See, the devil wants to get us to not believe the truth of the Bible. He's always attacking truth. The devil is called the master of lies. Why? It's because he knows that the truth of the Bible will set us free and provide us with life. The truth of the Bible is the best thing for us. And the devil doesn't want the best thing for you. The devil tries to get us to doubt God. It goes to the very first question he asked Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? 
The devil wants us to get, did God really mean that when it says that thing's sinful in the Bible? Is it really sinful? Is that really the best way to live? Is that really, that doesn't make any sense with culture around you. Everyone else is saying it's fine. Why would God say that thing's not fine? And I understand some of these things in the Bible can be hard to believe. I don't always want to be generous. Sometimes I just want to keep all my money for myself. I don't always want to love my enemies. Sometimes I just want to be mad at people that are jerks. There are also things in the Bible that can be hard to understand. Why would God say that? But here's the truth, Chi Alpha. Our job is not to fully understand why God makes things truth. Our job is not to understand why God asks us to live a certain way. Our job is to simply be obedient to our master. We don't need to question God. We need to trust God. Because here's reality. There's a God, and we're not him. So yes, some things can be hard to believe. Some things can be challenging and push our ideology. But if we want to be set apart, we've got to be set apart in truth. So the question for you is, what is your guide for truth? Do you let experience guide you or the Bible? Does it what makes sense to you or the Bible? Is it what the people around you define as right or wrong or Jesus? There are so many cultural ideologies that we've let creep into our mind that we've begun to accept as truth that are really contradictory to the teachings of Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. We're told the goal of life is to fulfill the American dream. The goal, if you've got to get a good job, have a few kids, make some money, you'll be happy. No, Jesus doesn't care about your white picket fence. He cares about the gospel going forth. We are told that we've got to look out for ourselves. We can't stretch ourselves too thin. You can't be too busy. You can't sacrifice too much for others. It's okay to sacrifice a little bit so you look good on Instagram, but you can't sacrifice a lot for other people. We've got to make sure we have time for ourselves before we have time for other people. That if something's going to cost us too much, we probably shouldn't do it. No, Jesus teaches us if you want to follow him, you've got to die to self. We are told that as long as something makes us happy, it's probably good for us. That's not true. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. That might not be God speaking to you to go after that girl. It might be hormones, all right? We are told we can do whatever we want with our bodies. That is not gonna, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, it'll be fine. When that's not true, you were bought with a price. Your body was bought with the death of King Jesus. Your body matters to someone. It matters to God. That is a temple of God that he wants to dwell in. No, we cannot do whatever we want with our bodies because they don't belong to us. They belong to my King Jesus. You were bought with a price, so you should respect the body that Jesus has given you. We are told that to push our ideas on other people is wrong. That's not correct. What is wrong is sitting by and watching our friends going on a destiny to hell and being so scared of conflict. You're so scared of awkward conversation that we don't say anything. Not about being a jerk, not about forcing things down people, but we gotta give them an opportunity here, Jesus. Too often I let fear get in the way of people's eternity. We are told to never go out of our comfort zone. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. See, we've let culture permeate our ideologies for way too long as a people. No longer does culture get to define reality. Jesus defines reality because we do not conform to the world around us. If we're to be set apart, we're to be set apart to believe and act the truths of Jesus as taught in the Bible. Romans 12, 2 continues. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We gotta be set apart in holiness, set apart in truth, and set apart in the way we think. Set apart in our thought life. Paul is telling us we need to renew our minds. We gotta change what we think about. We gotta take some control over what goes on up top. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We are to take thought or take captive every thought. We are to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. As Jesus followers, 
we gotta try to take some control on our thought life. We don't let emotions control us, we control them. That's how we renew our mind. That means, let's say you've got a thought of, in your head of anger or bitterness towards someone. Let's say it's pretty justified, like they really were rude to you. If we were set apart, we don't let that thought run around our head. We say, no, I'm not gonna think that way. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I don't need bitterness in my head. It's not good for my soul. If we have lustful thoughts for someone else, we say, I'm set apart, I'm saying no to that. I'm not just sexually pure in action, I'm sexually pure in thought. It means we don't allow ourselves to give ourselves excuses. For example, to say, I'm really introverted and shy, so I don't have to talk to people about Jesus because God didn't make me that way. That's a lie from the enemy trying to get you out of the game. Our thoughts don't control us. We control them. And I get it. There's a lot of things that go on in our heads that are hard, right? The devil is smart, and he tries to get in our head and get us to believe lies. Our job as Jesus followers is to renew our mind and take the lies in our head captive and give them to the truth of Jesus. How do we do that? It's challenging, but we do have a method. We do it through scripture. The Bible is the book of truth, so we must read the Bible. We read it not just to get it done and check off a spiritual checklist. No, we meditate on the Bible. We take a verse or a word in the Bible and we chew on it. We dig deep. We uncover truth. We let the Bible permeate our mind and we replace sinful, evil thoughts with thoughts of King Jesus. Or we can renew our mind through reading books by people who love Jesus. If you want a couple options, Tim Keller, John Mark Comer, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, Philip Yancey, I could go on and on. Reading books about Jesus is a great way to renew your mind. And finally, we're set apart in having deep thoughts. Our world does not like thinking deeply about things. We prefer 10-second videos that are extremely stimulating but then go away so we don't have to think anymore about it. Have you ever chosen, been sitting there thinking, should I watch a movie or a TV show? And you think, I better watch TV. I don't want to commit to a full two or two and a half hours to a movie. Have you ever been there? Just me, I guess I'm the only sinful one here. Actually, it's not sinful to not watch movies. But anyways, see, here's the proof. TikTok has overtaken YouTube, which overtook TV shows, which overtook movies, because we crave shorter mediums. Why do we want things to be shorter? Because we struggle to focus and we struggle to dig deep. So maybe we struggle to, get, to think deeply because of attention span, or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a fear of vulnerability. Like, I don't want to think about anything painful, and if I get too deep, that's going to be really hard. We avoid conflict or hard conversations at all costs, which leaves us with surface-level surface relationships. Our relationships go from depth and meaning to we just send each other Instagram reels that make us laugh, and then we're besties. Or we just have a Snapchat streak with a person where they've never seen my face. I always take a picture of the ground, and for some reason, I have a 500-day Snapchat streak with this person that I don't talk to or necessarily like, but I have to keep the streak. I'm sorry. I got a weird thing with Snapchat streaks. I'll not go on that tangent. I'm like, what the heck? Just take a picture of your face. You're a nice-looking individual. Anyways, we'll keep going. We got to be set apart and willing for our thought life to get deep. We gotta not settle for surface level, but think deeply about the things of God or family history. We gotta think deeply about things because then we can start to be set apart. So when we choose to be set apart, we become different from the world around us and we go from a common use to a special use. When I was in high school, show choir was a huge part of my life. I've talked about this before, don't laugh at me. Yikes, okay. And if you've been in show choir, Raise your hands if you did show choir. Help, let me see. All right, all right. We'll, we'll pray together afterwards, repent. I'm just kidding. Show choir is awesome. But if you're in show choir, you knew that there are two kinds of people in a show choir. There's the normal people, and then there's the superstars, right? Those people who made a difference for the kingdom of that show choir. And those superstars had one of two talents, usually. 
because show choir is singing and dancing. So you got the best singers. They'd get solos, like the spotlight comes in on them, and they get to sing by themselves, make everyone cry. Everyone looked at them. They were so special. And then there's the dancers. They got put in the front row, so everyone would look at them. The ugly people in the back, like me, we weren't, no one wanted to look at us. They were special. And see, I always want to be one of those special people. There's two problems here. Not a great singer, so there goes the solos. And I'm definitely not attractive or talented enough to be put in the front row. Like, that wouldn't be best for everyone. When they're putting us in spots, I was like, okay, keep going back, back, off to the side, behind the curtain. You would look great and thrive behind the curtain. And I'm just sitting there dancing. No one can see me, and it's just fine. I'm like, fine, I get it. I'm ugly and I'm proud. So I never got a special role. I'm still a little bitter. I'm working through it, but it's fine. Well, that was until my senior year of high, or high school. At the beginning of the year, our choir director told us that he had a vision for the most important part of the show, for our ballad, which is the emotional slow song. Weirdly emotional for looking back, but he wanted someone to play the acoustic guitar. My ears, my eyes. I know how to do that. I can't do any of the other stuff you need, but I know how to do that. It was my time, baby. So I practiced so hard for that part, and I auditioned in front of the whole class, and I got the role. I was special, finally. If you want to show the picture... Dang, that's a good-looking individual. Uh, I don't know why I was smoldering, but also those are the goofiest-looking pants I've ever wore, but that's besides the point. Anyways, whew, guard your hearts. It's a good-looking man. <laughs> Let's put, take that off. Take it off. Thank you. <laughs> See, that's really silly, right? It's really silly. But... As I got a special role in show choir, there is a special role waiting for you. God has a very special and unique purpose for your life. So whether you've got to be the star of the show, or if you feel like you've always been an afterthought, the younger sibling, the one who's less than, God wants to use you in a special way. And once we are set apart, God's like, let's go. We got to be set apart to be used by God. You, with your unique personality, your upbringing, your great childhood or horrible childhood, your Enneagram type, your strengths, your weaknesses, you with your past, you with your sin issues, God has a purpose for you. He wants to use you in his mission to save the world. But if you want to step into this special calling that God has for you, there is a price to be paid. Your life must become a living sacrifice. If we go back to Romans 12 just one more time, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So if you go back to my time in show choir, yes, it was pretty fun to be the acoustic guitar player of a special role, but I had to do some special work. I had to come to practice before everyone else to make sure I was ready to go. I had to practice a lot at home because I didn't want to screw up in front of people. I had to carry on extra equipment. I literally had to fly my guitar down to Florida for a competition. Our competitions were usually hours away, and what I'd have to do the night before is drive down to where our competition was and sound check and get my guitar set up and then drive back home and then go back the next day to make sure that everything was good to go. In order for me to have a special role, it required sacrifice. The same is true for your life with God. Living a consecrated life is a life of sacrifice. If you want to be set apart to be used by God, you have to sacrifice the right to do whatever you want. You sacrifice the right to blend in. You sacrifice the right to think whatever you want. You sacrifice the right to make your life all about you. If you want to change the world for Jesus, 
you can't be the center of your own universe. But here's the question again. Do you want a common purpose or a special purpose? Do you want to change the world for King Jesus? If so, your life's got to look a little different. So what does this practical look like? Quickly here, I'm going to give you three ways that we can sacrifice for God. Three ways that we can sacrifice and not look like everyone else. Number one, we can repent, which means we sacrifice the right to act like everyone else. Remember when I talked about holiness? Well, repentance is just when we confess sin and commit to turning from it. Repentance is not us feeling bad about things we've done and then saying, God, I'm sorry I did that, but I'm probably going to do it again tomorrow. That's not repentance. That's just like a weird form of guilt. Repentance is when you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. God, that's not who I am, and that's not what I'm going to do anymore. Never again. Repentance isn't about perfection, but it's about you turning around and saying, my life's actually going to look different. We are called to repent of the sin in our life. Confess our sin to our friends, and then commit to each other that we are going to be better. So I encourage you this week, repent of sin. If you've been hiding something, you are loved and accepted here, but you should tell your small group. If you're struggling with something in your heart that you don't want to talk about, let people in. Let your friends into the darkest parts of your life and let them love you in it and then help pull you out of it. Repent of sin. We must turn back to God. Before Jesus started his ministry, his cousin, John the Baptist, came before him preparing a way with one job. He preached one message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. If you want the kingdom of God to move on our campus and to move in your heart, we must repent and turn away from the evil things inside of us. That does not mean you have to be perfect. You do not have to be perfect, but you gotta be on a journey of trying to be more like Jesus. And that starts with having humility enough to repent of the ways we've screwed up. Number two, reorient. So first we repent, then we reorient, which means we sacrifice the right to think like everyone else. We reorient our minds. This is a sacrifice. Remember, others may, you may not. We gotta go from thinking, what am I allowed to do to what is the best thing for me? We reorient our priorities. We gotta get rid of the thought, what can I get from this? That thought is not from Jesus. What do I earn from this? What do I gain from this? It's not about you. It's what can I give? We reorient ourselves from giving yourselves excuses to actually say, no, I'm gonna step up. I'm about to do whatever it takes for the kingdom of God. We gotta fix our mindset to be holy after God. And the final step, repent, reorient, and then we renounce, which means we sacrifice the right to live like everyone else. I know this is a hard message. I know this is some hard truth, but here's the reality. If you wanna be set apart to be used by God, we have to renounce the rights to our own lives. We have to renounce the rights for our lives to be all about us. We gotta make our lives a living sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Our lives cannot be all about me. We gotta live for Jesus and his mission. Like I said, I realize this is a pretty high call. You're like, this is really cheery. Thanks, Derek. I understand this is hard. This is stretching. I fail in most of these areas daily. This is a high call. But it's a high call for a special people. Do you realize that God has a special purpose for your time in college? God wants to use you to change all the people around you. God wants to use you to help usher in revival on campus. Yes, this is challenged, but I also want you to dream with me for a second. Dream of what it could look like if we looked around and every seat in here was filled with people worshiping King Jesus. Would that be worth a little bit of sacrifice of our time? Not having a little bit of time for homework, a little bit less. Still do your homework. Don't blame me for your bad grades, please. But just imagine if you and I became a place that felt like the kingdom of God everywhere you're walking. 
To me, that's worth sacrifice. Our team sacrifices our entire lives for this. And if we will join this mission, God will bring revival. But your life will have to look different. It will require you not having as much free time. You'll have to become stretched. You'll have to choose others over yourself. Life will not be able to be about your degree, your bank account, your dating relationship, your resume. And hear me, none of those things are bad. Like I said, please get a degree. Don't drop out and blame me. None of those things are bad. And hear me, God, I think some people need to hear this. God will not be mad at you if your top priority is your degree. God's not mad at you. This is not a question of your eternity or your love of God. None of that. This is all a question of impact. Do you want God to do something special here? Do you want to be used by God? Because here's the reality. If God wants to do something special here, he's going to do it. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? And if you want to be a part of it, your life's got to look different. 2024, the year of revival. We want God here. In our time, God. We want to see our campus turned upside down for the kingdom of God. We want to see our hearts burn for Jesus. We want the 10,000 students of you and I to come to know him. We want the 5,000 students of Hawkeye Community College to come to know him. We want all the random college-age people who don't go to school to come to know Jesus too. And the beauty is God wants the same thing. God wants to bring revival here. God wants everything we want 10 times more. But God is willing to wait. God doesn't just want to use common people. God wants to use a consecrated people. He needs people who are set apart. He needs people he can trust. Can God trust us with a move of him on campus? Or will we give in to sin? Or start letting false truth be preached? Or start doing it for ourselves? No, God needs a consecrated people that he can trust to use for revival. He is waiting for a consecrated group of students that are set apart, ready for that special role. On February 8th of 2023, almost exactly a year ago today, just a couple days away, students gathered at Asbury University for what was a normal chapel service. A pastor got up and preached a message that had nothing special about it. It was a pretty below average message, to be honest. But then God started doing something. See, students there, without the prompting of the pastor or the leaders, they just started lingering in the presence of God and saying, I'm not ready to be done yet. And then they started crying out to God, we want to be hungry for you. We want you to move on our university. They hungered for the presence of God. The students just kept worshiping God. They didn't leave. The press was like, what's going on right now? You got to come to class. Like, no, we don't. We're worshiping King Jesus. And what proceeded from this little small chapel service was a weeks-long outpouring where an estimated 50 to 70,000 people from all across the world poured into this tiny university to experience the manifold presence of God. All because students were a little hungry. All because students were willing to do what it took and be set apart. God poured out his spirit on a group of college students literally a year ago. They got to experience a glimpse of revival. And it was almost universally said that the uniqueness of this move of God was the humility of the students. There was a little box, an altar of sorts, that students would go up to and confess their sin. Sin confession launched revival. 
They would come up, they'd publicly stand up, they would confess their sins, they'd cry out to God, and they just didn't stop. They kept saying, we wanna be holy. They hungered after God, they cried out, they said, God, we wanna be consecrated. God, well, I'm gonna publicly stand up for you. A hungry group of college students were consecrated and the world was shaken. So here's the question, Kai Alpha, do we wanna be used by God? Do we wanna make a difference? So we gotta be consecrated. Must be committed to holiness. We don't let evil creep into our hearts. We must be committed to truth. We don't compromise for the sake of culture. We must be committed to our thought life being pure before the Lord. We must be willing to do hard things to sacrifice for God, to be different from the world around us. Like I said in the beginning, we can't live like everyone else and expect different results. We want godly results, we've got to have godly hearts. Do we want revival? If so, the game plan is simple got to be set apart. In the beginning tonight, I gave you an analogy and I said, what would you do if someone that you really cared about impressing wanted to come to your house and your house was really dirty? Told you you probably want to clean up, right? Get your hearts the same way with God. Here's the reality of Jesus though. This is the beauty of him. Is our hearts are really messy. Our hearts are really full of junk and leftover pizza boxes and gross, gross things. But the perfect Jesus, the perfect God, clean, white as snow, doesn't wait for us to clean up before he comes over. He barges his way in and says, I don't care what mess you've got around you. I'm coming home. So no matter what you've done tonight, no matter how messy you think your life is, Jesus is just at the door knocking. He wants to come and he's saying, you don't gotta clean up for me. And that is the beauty of Jesus, that Jesus loved us so much that he's willing to get into the mess of our lives. Jesus said, I'm not letting a messy room keep me away. So no matter what you've done tonight, you are not too far from Jesus. But Jesus does want to come in and help you clean up a little bit. He's not going to like roll around in the mess with you, but he's going to come in and help you clean it up. But you do got to let him in. You got to let him into your room. Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sin. And now all he's asking of you, one thing, you let me come home to your heart. And if so, he'll turn your world upside down. If you all stand with me. I want to give us a few ways to respond tonight. We believe in responding to the words of God. So the first way is if you're here and if you're honest, you realize your heart is really messy and you haven't let Jesus come in and start helping you clean it up a little bit. And you haven't given your life to Jesus before. And you want to make tonight a cornerstone night where you say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not just some other good teacher. Jesus is just a prophet or some guy who is holy. No, Jesus is the God of the universe. And Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want to accept your payment for my sin. If that's you and you want to say, Jesus, Lord, I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. Bow your heads. I'm going to count to three. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior, on the count of three, raise your hand as an outward sign of you letting Jesus into your heart. One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you. If you want to let Jesus in. There's a ton of you. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you for being a God who cleans our lives up for us, doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for our sins, God. We are so full of gratitude for what you've done, Jesus. And I thank you for my new friends in the kingdom of you, God. And I pray that their lives will look different, that this will not just be a moment where they come and have emotionalism and they raise their hand and forget about it, God. But tonight is a life-changing night for you, God. 
that people's lives are turned 180 and they repent and turn back to you and say, you are the Lord of my life now, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can open your eyes. I want to give a couple more opportunities to respond. I want you to open your arms as a way, a posture of receiving before Jesus. Open your hands before Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you've got some mess in your heart that you need to repent of, some things you realize you gotta get off your chest, some sin repentance, I'm not gonna make you yell it out to everyone, but I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand. It's just a sign of Jesus, I'm gonna repent of this. So raise your hand right now. If you've got some things you need to repent of, just raise your hand to God. Jesus, we repent. God, forgive us of our lack of holiness. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy and forgiveness, God. I pray that we will be a holy people before you, God. Jesus, we publicly repent. We turn back and say, God, you're in charge and we love you so much. Amen. Amen. Two more ways to respond. If you're here tonight and you realize that you've been struggling to believe in truth, that you've been wrestling with some things with God, and maybe just maybe you've let some cultural ideology take root in your heart, I'm going to ask you the same thing. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now and say, I don't want culture to define my truth. I'm going to let Jesus define truth. That's you. Raise your hand right now. We're going to pray. Jesus, I pray that we'll be a people that let you define truth, God. Jesus, we just pray that we'll be a people who submit to the, the authority and lordship of your heart, God, and that the word of God is going to dictate everything, Jesus. Even when it's hard or uncomfortable, Jesus, you get to define reality for us, Jesus. Amen. And finally, the last way to respond is we're going to sing one more song together. And if you want to be consecrated, be set apart for God, I want you to do something. If that means raising your hands in worship when you never do that, do that. If that means coming up front and kneeling up here at a altar of sorts, come up here and kneel. If that means going, spreading out, if that means laying down, getting on your knees, I don't care what that looks like, but I want you to do something active to make a moment. I want you to move a little bit to where you say, this is who I used to be, and now I'm moving into a consecrated life. Something to actively say, I'm going to be different now. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna start singing this song, and then afterwards, if you wanna commit to living a consecrated life, do something for you, don't care what it is, to say your life's gonna look different, and you will be set apart to be used by God. So let me pray, and then take action for God. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you that we get to be set apart for you, God. I pray that our Chi Alpha group will be set apart for you, Jesus. That we will be set apart in holiness. We'll be set apart in truth. We'll be set apart with our thought life. And that, Jesus, you will move in power, God. We pray that you will move here, God. We want revival in our time. Jesus, we want to meet with you, God. Make us a consecrated people, set apart, who says whatever your will is for our lives, Jesus, you are in charge from now on, God. Make us a consecrated people, set apart. We are ready for you to move, God. We are ready for revival, Jesus. We want you to blow our campus, turn it upside down. We want the Holy Spirit poured out. God, we are ready for you to move. Make us a group of people who are humble enough to say yes to you, King Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Let's worship together.